Having just gone through a series on Exodus about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, as we read this week and looked at what we could we could go through and 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 get some big ideas out of it was it was kind of slim pickings. There's a there's a lot of material in there. The problem with with this much material in, in uh, these stories is that we've kind of gone through them quite a bit. So I picked a text today, which is is probably one of the texts that you kind of uh, you, your eyes glaze over when you get to. Uh, whenever we see italicized words in the Bible, we kind of just kind of skim through it. Um, I do that when I'm reading a book. Uh, you know, we read books with our kids. And uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll be, especially in these stories where you have animals or something, uh, you, you're reading a story and they kind of, they've written a poem or they've written a song or something like that. And you just kind of, and you get, you just go through it and get to the, to the story part. And I think sometimes we do that with um, with the Bible too. We, we get to uh, the the poetry parts, or we get to the song parts, and and we're eh, that's not really the story. I want to get to the story. I want to get to the the plot. Uh, I'm looking at some Christian songwriters. You know, our, our music, the way we sing today, is completely different. If we were to come into church. About five or six hundred years ago, uh, for the most part, music was a, a, a little bit different than what we do today. Um, for example, so so Barry got up and led songs today, and and what he would have done is he would have he would have chanted, right? He would have he would have chanted some music, and and then you would have chanted back uh, in response to that, and so. It would, have, it would have sounded so completely different. Well, as time went on, things changed a little bit. Some, some young upstarts decided that they didn't like that kind of music. Uh, you know, that's kind of how things go. And so those, those, those people decided, those young, young whippersnappers decided they were going to write music, actual music, and we would sing all together. Uh, one of those guys, uh, he's called the father of our modern hymnal. By, by modern, we mean a couple hundred years old now. Uh, but uh, uh, Isaac Watts, um, he wrote, uh, he's kind of like the modern day David, I guess, if you will. Uh, uh, he's the author of a lot of famous ones, you know, Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We sung that this morning. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and we're marching to Zion. And these are only a few of the 750 songs that he wrote. Uh, and and he, he wanted to be different. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of the songs that, that they used back then, uh, the music was already written. In fact, um, uh, you take, take, for example, well, not specific songs, but an, another person came along by the name of Fanny Crosby. She wrote uh, 8,000 songs. Now, um, she obviously is, is not as well known as, as uh, Isaac Watts, so I'm guessing that her songs didn't catch on quite as much but still she had quite a quite a few songs uh, blessed assurance tell me the story of jesus to god be the glory uh, and, and there's some there's some amazing things but the, one of the things about these many of these composers of christian music was that they didn't use, write their own music they they would write the poems and and someone else would set the music to it and a lot of times what they would do is they would take music that was already in their culture, they might take songs that were sung in bars and, and put good music to it. So you can see why that was kind of um, a little controversial at times. Or, or maybe they would, you know, 
hijack some of Beethoven's music or something more, you know, at least a little bit more palatable. And uh, so, so they would set it to this. Along comes a guy uh, by the name of, well, long before these guys, there was, there's one guy that's interesting. Um, he's uh, a guy that, that composed a song and its music, uh, one of my favorite songs um, of all time, Martin Luther composed the song and if you if if you sing uh, a mighty fortress is our god and you look at the way i mean you think of martin luther and you think wow that you know how what what are you doing writing music you're supposed to be this guy that writes these deep philosophical books and religious books and he wrote a he wrote a song he's a one-hit wonder kind of a guy that was his song um and and if you read the music it looks like music that a theologian would write you know uh really foreboding and thoughtful and deep and somber music uh but he is a one-hit wonder you know not eight thousand songs in a songbook just kind of that one I'm, i'm sure he wrote a couple others but but not really known and today we're talking about uh uh un recognized songwriter he kind of a one-hit wonder i think he he composed one a little bit later it's in the book of psalms but but for the most part he's a one-hit wonder and we are going to read his song in chapter 15 of exodus it is the song of moses this is in verse one moses and the israelites sang the song to the lord i will sing to the lord for he is highly exalted the horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea the lord is my strength and my song he's become my salvation, he is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them, they sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy in the greatness of your majesty. You threw down those who opposed you. And you unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. And by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. And the surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters solidified in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils and I will gorge myself on them. And I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead. In the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead your people that you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. The anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling, and the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. And by the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until your people you brought have passed by. And you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, a place, O Lord, that you made for your dwelling, a sanctuary, O Lord, your hands have established, for the Lord will reign forever and ever. And by the way, Moses did have a backup choir. Um, and so we read down a little bit further. He says, And Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sisters, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her and the, with tambourines dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. So there you go, a little bit of a modern touch to music. 
This is the song of Moses. It's called the song of Moses. Okay, the one he's well known for. And we get into some of the big ideas. We're going to look at some of the big ideas in this text. Who is like God is one of the big things here. Who is like God? It says in verse 11. And we like this verse. We're going to come back to some of the ideas in this. But this is the overwhelming thought. Moses sings this song to Israel who's lived with thousands of deities. And, you know, if you lived back then, you might think that there was something to that. That's just kind of the overwhelming. We look at that and we go, that's silly, all these gods. You know, we talked about what they worshipped and everything. If it moved, they worshipped it. If it didn't move, they worshipped it. I mean, they just worshipped everything. And we think that's ridiculous, but, but it might not have been so ridiculous back then. So God has to draw a distinction between he who is actually God and, and all these made-up things. And he said, who is like God? And through Moses, God will explain his character in this song. And this song is really the first definition of God's character. It's not just a throwaway Song, it's a, you know, sometimes we come in and the song is just kind of the prelude to the sermon. And we, we like to sing and we like to be entertained and that's kind of an entertainment thing. And then we get down to the sermon. Let's get down to the sermon. That's the real thing. Uh, get to the plot. Get to the, the real material. Well, and, and we sometimes look at the song as, as throwaway. Not, not that we throw it away, but, but it's just kind of there. And this is not a throwaway thing. Israel has never really had God defined for them. Well, they, they've just recently learned his name as Jehovah, which has to do with his eternal nature. But they really haven't had God defined for them until this song. And so we see God is still teaching, just barely beginning to teach who he is. And he begins not with the nice stuff. We like the nice songs. We like the, the pleasant songs about how beautiful God is and, and how wonderful God does things for us. And those are in this song. And we're going to talk a lot about those. We're probably going to talk most about those. But that's not where he begins. He begins verse 3 and he says, The Lord is a warrior. He's a man of war, some versions might say. He is a man of war. Now, let's, let's forget about whether, why he's called a man. Understand that their brains couldn't handle, and our brains can't handle. Uh, human brains can't handle the concept of what God is. God can't define. There's no word that sums up the existence of God. So, you can't call him an it. That doesn't really work. Uh, you can't call him a thing. So we just call him the, the highest thing that we know in our existence is a man. That's the highest thing. So he says he's a man. Let's think of him as a man. I can picture a man. Okay. He's a man. He's a man of war. I can picture that. And that's not the picture that we like of God. We don't like the demonstration of his anger. We like the demonstration of the the grace and the, all the other things that, that are a little bit more pleasant. But he begins by talking about the demonstration of his anger. A lot of depictions of what he did. And see, this is the thing about a man of war. We don't like that because we typically think of the anger of God as what it's going to be like when it's directed at us. Right? And that's why we don't like the picture of 
God being a man of war. But the problem is that really is not the, the thing that's expected. See, the thing about a man of war is that a man of war fights for what's important for him. And you are important to God. And it is important to have a man of war to be able to defend you. And, if need be, to defend others from you. That, that's always a, a, a possibility. You say, that, that's not nice to say to me. Uh, I'm sorry. He might need to defend you from me. We all have the capability of going astray and, and harming other people. And, and God is a man of war. And understand that for this, this lays out the boundaries. And within these boundaries, we'll talk about the pleasant things. But, but these are the boundaries. And in any relationship, the first thing you have to do is establish the boundaries of the relationship. This is the unpleasant part of the relationship. This is not the lovey part of the relationship. This is not the happy part of the relationship. These are the boundaries of the relationship. We get married and we take vows and we establish the boundaries. Till death do you part. There's a boundary. All relationships have to have boundaries. God establishes boundaries. I'm a man of war. Think about some of these thoughts. He says he's, um, he says he is fearful in praises. What do you mean he's fearful? That, this is not saying that God is afraid. But he's talking about that when we praise him, we are to be fearful in our praises. Let me give you an explanation of what I mean. We can become too familiar in our worship of God. Uh, if you go back a few decades, quite a few decades, even before I was born, there was a thing called the Jesus Movement. Maybe you heard about it, maybe you didn't. But the Jesus Movement was kind of like hippies who were religious. And it was in that folk music era, and a, and a lot of people wanted to be religious, they, they wanted to be a part of the hippie scene. They just wanted to do it without, you know, smoking weed. Now, they, you know, they, they wanted something that was actually spiritual. You know, some people you know, would, would uh, do acid or do something and they'd see visions and that to them was spiritual. No, you're just kind of, your brain isn't working right. And some people wanted, after trying that, they decided they wanted something legitimate. And so they, they turned to the, to the right source. They turned to Jesus. Uh, people like Keith Green came out of this movement. There's a, there's a lot of great musicians and, and, and great, uh, you know, great people in, in, in that industry that, that came out of the Jesus movement. And there were people that, that even in the mainstream of music, kind of paid homage to it without really uh, adopting it fully. They were very familiar in their worship. They were not fearful in their praises. There were 60 songs like, speaking of marijuana, the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me. Right? <laughs> Jesus is just all right with me. Or um, Norman Greenbaum. Anybody know of his song? Norman Greenbaum? What was it, Chris? That's right. Spirit in the sky. 
going up to the spirit of the sky. Never been a sinner, never sinned. Glad I got a friend in Jesus. Well, if you never sinned, I'm not sure why you need a friend in Jesus. But, you know, I suppose that's beside the point. We get too familiar sometimes in our praises. And, and we, we, we buddy-buddy with Jesus in our songs. And, and Jesus is just cool. And he's just all right with me. And, and all these things. You see that in, in music. And God says, I want you to be a little fearful in your praises. You're not singing about someone ordinary. You're singing about a man of war. And you will go through this song and it's not a lot of pleasant pictures. There are pleasant places in it. But a lot of these pictures are not pleasant. You drop them in water and let them sink like lead. That's not a nice poetic picture of God. Let's get to some of the nicer pictures. We've established the boundaries. Let us look at some other things here. He says he's glorious, and, and, and there are a couple of different pictures of his glory. Now, the idea of glory has different concepts. Uh, it can appear to, it can re- refer to the appearance of something. Uh, so it would have synonyms like brilliant or bright, majestic, right? Those, those, those are pictures of, or definitions of glory. It can also, also be used as a superlative, talking about the best of something, being amazing in, 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 a, in something or in some area. And Moses uses it to describe two ways in which he's glorious, in which he's amazing. This last aspect has more... To do with it than the first. He's not here, he's not talking so much about being beautiful or bright, but he's glory, glorious. He's, a, he's above everybody else in these things, and that gets back to that idea who can compare with me? So we talked about being a man of war, right? And in verse 6, we see this he says, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic or glorious in power. So he is glorious in power. And we've just talked about this, this idea of, of being a man of war. And this kind of concludes that idea. The Israelites had seen this demonstration. Ten times they had watched this demonstration before they even left. And now they see it again in, in this Red Sea crossing, which is what this song is about. This, this one event summar, summarizes many of the ideas that Moses wants to sing about. God, that God wants to define himself through this event. He has shown his strength. He's shown his ability. He has demonstrated power over the elements of nature. He has demonstrated his power over physics. I mean, water standing up straight. And he has demonstrated his power over life. In the, you know, in the... Uh, the loss of the firstborn and saving the firstborn and all these things. He's, he's, he's demonstrated that he has power over every avenue of existence. He wants them to understand and trust him. He is glorious. He's above all these other gods. Those other gods couldn't save the, the firstborn. God can do that. He's above everything. But he is also glorious in another way. And we get down to verse 11. We, we, we already read this, but we're going to read it again. Who among the gods is like you, 
majestic or glorious in holiness. And this is the second thing. He, is, uh, he stood out against these other gods in his moral standards. He's not arbitrary in his justice. They worshipped gods that were very arbitrary in the way they did things. The reason that their gods were arbitrary is because they connected just random events to their gods. So if you had a bad harvest, that must mean that your gods or one of the gods was upset at you and you had to figure out how to appease him. And so so they, they assigned very uh, arbitrary characteristics to their gods. But God says, no, I'm a, I'm a man of, of holiness. I'm above those in holiness. In fact... In, in just, a, just a few, maybe 50 or so days, he's going to take them somewhere and give them a law and say, let me define this for you. It's going to be the first moment. And we'll talk about this uh, probably in the future. He's going to give them this, this concept that, that this is how I rule. This is how I govern. I'm not just arbitrary. I am glorious in my holiness. I'm above the rest in my holiness. Verse 13, he gives another characteristic. He says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. He is steadfast. He is, uh, he is steadfast in his love. These are the pictures that we like, don't we? You see, there's so much actually more in this if you look at the characteristics. He spends a lot of time on that, that man of war stuff. But there are a lot more definitions of God than just that in this song. He is steadfast in his love. He has shown his love in leading his people out of Egypt. He's guided them through a number of difficulties. And he's done so even though they resist him at every turn. Though they, Every little tiny thing that goes wrong, they go, Oh, why did you lead us out of here? Well, we're going to die. And I realize that their situation looked pretty bad. I mean, I suppose if, if there was a bunch of us standing right here, you know, we look out that window right over there, and, 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 and you saw a bunch of armies coming over that hill, and we were stuck here with nowhere to go over here. I suppose I'd start to get nervous, and I might start complaining. I probably would. I'm sure I would. But um, there's just every time something goes wrong, they complain. And he says, I'm steadfast in my love. I'm going to have to show it to you again and again and again. And he does. He shows us his love. And he waits for our strength to catch up. Now I want to end at the beginning. I want to back up all the way to verse 2 and look at something interesting. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Now, this is interesting because when we talk about God, we always talk about God as, you know, he doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. He's not one thing in the Old Testament and something different in the New Testament. He's the same thing yesterday and today and forever. And James says he's, he, there's no variation or shifting shadow with God. He, he doesn't change like the, the time of the day. And so how can it say that he has become my salvation. Shouldn't he always have been my salvation? He is salvation. What does this mean? He has become my salvation. 
He's just revealed himself to them through the name I am, which means not changing. I am. Who sent you? I am sent me. What? You mean he was sent you? No, no, I am sent me. He is. How can God become something if he always is that thing? Well, because there's one special thing about this. It is a conditional quality. In other words, God offers salvation. He's always been salvation in that regards. But it wasn't until the people responded properly that they were saved. You look at every part of this story. The people were asked to participate in their own salvation. They were asked... Listen, you got, this is what you got to do. Moses, this is what you got to do. Aaron, this is what you got to do. And everybody's given a task. The fathers of the household are given a task. Get your family ready. You've got to celebrate the Passover. You've got to put the blood over the, the doorpost. You've got to do this. You've got to go out. You've got to stand and eat. And you've got to be ready to go anytime. You've got to go. You've got to do. And so in doing that, God became their salvation. If at any point they had rejected, and I know they complained about it, but at least they still did it. I don't know how many points that got with God, except that he saved them, he rescued them. He took them out and said, eh, well, I guess, you know, in the long run, you're not going to get to the promised land, but at least you got out of Egypt. He rescued them. He became their salvation because they responded. If at any point they had decided, I'm not doing that, then they would have been in the circumstances that the Egyptians were in. He became their salvation. I want you to think of these big ideas with me as we finish here. First of all, take God as He is. Do not try to remake Him. You can't take all the, the stuff that is inconvenient about God and try to find a way to filter it out. And God is a man of war. You can't try to say, well, that was in the Old Testament and I'm going to stick it there where I don't have to think about it. And God is who He is. He is the I Am. But understand that, that the thing that we like sometimes the least about God is the thing that helps us. He's a man of war and He wants to fight for you. I cannot make him in my image, and I cannot subtract the qualities that are inconvenient. But the second idea this morning I want you to think about is, are you involved in your own salvation? Have you prepared him, as Moses said, a habitation? Have you prepared for him a dwelling place to be with you? He's all of these things, and he's willing to be more. But you have to get involved in your salvation. To what degree have you gotten involved in your own salvation this morning? And we're going to close in song.